Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Awesome, 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 awesome. Uh, Who would agree with this statement? The world's going mad. Well, the world's gone mad. There's so many crazy things that are happening. We see in Dallas more recently, uh, just, just out of control. There's fear of terrorism all over the world these days. No one feels safe. Uh, even now, Australia, things are uh, unsettled. We don't even have a government. I don't know, do we have a government yet? We still don't. We kind of do. We're kind of, we're kind of still counting the last few votes. But uh, I think we know where it's heading, but it's, it's not... Uh, it hasn't put us in a good stead for the next three years. And, and all these things can weigh heavily upon people and bring uh, an unease and an unrest. And uh, then we can talk about the situations that we're all going through personally. And uh, I, I'm very mindful of that. I'm very mindful of that. And uh, I just thought it'd be fantastic tonight on the first Sunday night of our two-week school holiday break just to talk about something that's close to my heart, something I've entitled Finding Peace. If I say peace in a restless world. Finding peace in a restless world. We live in a very, very restless world. But I believe that there is peace to be found. I've already mentioned that I went to Hillsong Conference uh, just last week. And, you know, it was a great conference and lots of great things were said and great things were seen. But for me, one of the highlights of my time was catching up with friends, old and new. And uh, many people were very keen to know how I'm tracking based upon the recent sickness that I've been through. And for those of you who may not know, um, I got very, very ill. I was hospitalized for three weeks. And uh, obviously, while in hospital, um, because of the blood infection that I had, it was touch and go for a while. And maybe if I had not have been as fit and healthy, uh, doctor's words, um, as I am, then maybe I wouldn't have actually pulled through. And so it was, it was quite serious. And uh, when you're talking about your life, it's, you know, it's pretty serious. And so it was kind of that for me. And then uh, having come out of hospital, um, we've been on antibiotics, IV antibiotics for the last five weeks. And then I've just started a course of oral antibiotics for the next three months. And on top of that, uh, during the blood infection, um, there's some damage sustained to my heart, which needs to be fixed. And so I'm booked in for an operation uh, in two weeks' time to have one of my valves in my heart fixed. You know, they tell me that there's a little pig out there somewhere being cultivated. He does not know that his days are numbered. Um, but uh, <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of gross and uh, kind of really weird that some, something of this pig running around right now is going to be in my body in two weeks' uh, time. The doctors actually tell me when uh, they put a stethoscope to my heart after the operation, it's going to sound like this. But anyway, that's fine. Of course, I'm continuing to stand in faith and believing for a healing in the meantime. Um, And so I'd appreciate your prayers. And I'm just one person. I'm just one person. There are many people in this church that are far worse off than me. There's many people in this community that are far worse off than me. And so I'm not here to kind of put myself on a pedestal and and make a big deal about what I've been through because everyone's going through something. You know, we are. But what I can say is that uh, during this time, I can honestly tell you that the peace of God has marked this season for me 
in a way that I've never known before. And I just thought it'd be fantastic if through what I'm experiencing and what I'm living in, could share something of what I believe is not just for me, but it's for each and every one of us. Who, who would like more peace? More peace. And so I, I feel very rich and very blessed for the incredible, tangible, manifest peace that I've been living in. And one of the, one of the good measures for me, and I don't know what the measuring uh, sticks for you are when it comes to your peace, but for me, one of the big ones is my sleep. And I can honestly say through the season, I've just gone to bed at night and I've fallen straight to sleep and I've been able to wake up in the morning feeling blessed and refreshed. It's a supernatural peace, particularly in light of I can't or haven't been able to do much of what it is that I love to do. Many of you who would know me would know that I love to be uh, physical, particularly when it comes to gym and uh, my exercise. And and I haven't been able to do that anywhere near as much uh, as I've always done for the last 30 years, but even in the midst of not being able to do what I love doing, there's been incredible ease and an incredible peace. And I'm not saying that to draw attention to myself, I'm trying to say that to point you to the one who gave me that peace, who gives me that peace and will continue to give me that peace into the future. In actual fact, it's a peace that the world does not understand. The medical profession have not really grasped the peace that I'm living in. They, they actually think I'm living in denial. It's amazing how the things of God and the things of the world can seem very similar at first glance. And because I'm calm and, and because I'm uh, seemingly not taking the situation too seriously, they, they tend to think I'm actually in denial. But honestly, I, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. I feel like I'm looking down at this guy called Tony Rainbow and saying, this is amazing. You're, you're, you're not being your normal self. And I believe it's because God has taken me to a new normal. And I believe God has taken this church to a new normal. And I believe God is wanting to take you to a new normal. We, we see that throughout church history. There is new normals for the church. In Acts chapter 8, there was a new normal that took place for the church. Up until Acts chapter 8, God was doing a great thing, but he was only doing a great thing in in Jerusalem because the apostles and all the disciples and all the believers and all those that had come to Christ never went beyond their borders. And the message was always more than just for Jerusalem. And so God uh, allowed some persecution to take place. And in Acts chapter 8, people started to run for their lives and the church was scattered. And guess what? The church was back on mission. God uses all things together for the good. And from that moment in Acts chapter 8, the church never went back to its old normal. It never just congregated back in Jerusalem. The church was scattered, the church was large, and it was back on mission, and it never went back to its old normal. And I, for one, do not want to go back to my old normal. I thank God for the 22 years of this church and the different uh, seasons that we've been through, but I do not want our church to go back to an old normal. I want us to embrace this new season we're in and build upon it and build upon it and build upon it. And I believe the foundation of that has to be a foundation of peace. And so I want to I want to read a portion of scripture, Mark chapter 4. And in actual fact, this thought that I'm sharing tonight was inspired at our open heaven night last week. It's amazing how God speaks to you. I want you to know whenever I talk about God speaking to me, don't don't think that God, I'm God's favorite. I've just learned the voice of God and he speaks to me in so many ways. Sometimes he speaks to me through movies. 
It's amazing when God wants to get your attention and he, and he often will use the things that you love. And so, so if you're doing something you love, just be ready for God to speak to you. He'll speak to you in movies. Uh, I love being in a church environment where we're singing together. I love that. And it's very often in those moments that God speaks to me. And I remember Elise was leading worship up here on last Sunday night and she was singing a song and I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, it was, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well, that's what it was. And uh, there was this line that talked about the wind and waves. And straight away in the worship time, I just thought of this account where Jesus has gathered his disciples to himself and they find themselves in a precarious situation. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we pick up that story. Um, and it says, On that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, This is Jesus speaking, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him alone, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall broke out, uh, came out and uh, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Everyone say sleeping. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Please, when we read this, let's not just put ourselves in the pious position of Jesus himself because we've read the end of the book and we know how this account ends up. Let's think about ourselves and imagine ourselves in the boat at that moment. I think every person to a man here would be saying the same thing like, who are you? And the disciples who had walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus for some three and a half years were kind of at the end of themselves saying, who are you? We thought you knew you. I don't even feel like I know you anymore. You're, just, you're bigger than I thought. You're, you're more magnificent than I thought. You're more powerful than I thought. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Many things that I draw from this portion of Scripture but just as an aside, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. And I believe Jesus was not just talking practically, but also metaphorically about a crossing over. Yes, they were about to cross over from one shore to another. That was definitely at the forefront of what Jesus was saying. But I think it is also a metaphor for what the uh, disciples were about to experience. And I think it's uh, something that we have experienced and will continue to experience in our future because it's not just a crossing over from one shore to another. It was a crossing over from learning to owning. It was a crossing over from sitting under the Word to standing on the Word. It was a crossing over from academic truth to active truth. It was a crossing over from what they knew to what they actually believed. In other words, it was time to sit a test. And that test is the testing of their faith. And each and every one of us in this room is going to have a test that we have to sit. You, you may uh, do well in the classroom and that's great, but uh, 
it really comes down to how well you do in the school of life. Because in the school of life, you'll face many tests. And as believers, you're going to face many tests. And it's going to have to do with the testing of our faith to see what it is that we really believe, not just uh, what we know and give mental assent to. And so these disciples are about to go through the lesson of their life. Just before this present moment, Jesus was doing the teaching on the, called the Sermon of the Mount. There they were. They were just standing there or sitting down and, and, and listening to the incredible words of Jesus as He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. And blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. And they were sitting there with their notepads like good little Christians and taking notes and getting A's for their, for their marks. And, and it's all great. But we were never designed just to sit in rows. We were never designed just to sit in front of someone talking. We were meant to apply that which we have been taught. And the disciples were about to face the test of their life. Jesus was basically saying it's time to put into practice that which you've heard me talk about. In our morning series, straight out of context, we talked about the fact that the Bible is not just a book to be studied, but it's a letter to be lived. Jesus is effectively saying, I, I know you can handle the school of life, uh, the school in the classroom, but can you handle the school of life and all that it throws at you? Can you handle the disasters? I mean, this is a massive natural disaster. This, this, this storm that they faced in the boat. But if you read on, and it's always good to read on, and if you read on, you'll see that they not only face this natural disaster. You know, I, I see the disciples, you know, getting to, getting to the shore thing. And my gosh, what was all that about? And no sooner had they touched the land than this demoniac, this, this man who was possessed by 1,000 demons just races at them. Oh my gosh, we've just survived the disaster. Now we're facing demons. And then Jesus brings calm to that situation. And no sooner had they just dealt with that but then Jairus comes up and talks about his, his, his daughter that, that's uh, diseased and, and sick and in need of healing. And so here's the disciples, uh, they're, they're facing disaster, they're facing demons, they're facing disease. And then after that, they're facing death. Jesus was faced with an issue where this young daughter of this man Jairus had died. And in every situation, Jesus was able to bring calm to their storm. Whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's demonic torment, whether it's disease or sickness, or whether it's death itself, Jesus brought an answer to every one of those circumstances. And you know what? We're not unlike the disciples or the people that lived at that time. We will face and possibly have faced or are facing many of those things in our life right now. But isn't it good to know that Jesus was able to calm the disasters, deliver the demons, heal the diseased, and raise the dead? But here's the thing I want you to get, church. Jesus not only revealed His power, but Jesus also revealed the source of His power. And if we're not careful, we can miss it. 
Because if we're honest with ourselves, we love the sensational. We love the miraculous. We, we don't like the boring process. We, we want the miracles. We want the instant. And I don't think we're too different than those that lived in Jesus' time. And because of this desire for the spectacular, we often miss the source of what made the spectacular possible. And I don't want us to miss that. The Bible tells us that Jesus had told the disciples that we're going to go to the other side. And so they got into this boat. And there were other boats there. And they set out. And no doubt they sang their songs, they talked the talk, and they had their jokes and laughs and all those things that we would do. But then this incredible storm arose. And again, I want you to put yourself in that situation. And imagine the uncertainty and the fear and the doubt. That's what came over the disciples. And please don't judge them. I think in the situation, we would be there. This was not like a cruise liner ship that could handle the big waves. This was just a, a rickety old fishing boat, really. And it was just getting swamped by the water of the sea. And here's Jesus in the stern, fast asleep. The Bible is so specific. It says, and his head was on a cushion. His head was on a pillow. And to me, as I reflect upon this moment, I don't know what's the greater miracle. Jesus standing up and rebuking the wind or Jesus being asleep in the storm on a cushion. I mean, it just seems so bizarre. I mean, there's so many things. Imagine being there and reporting on that event. There's so many things going on. Oh, Jesus had his head on a cushion. So I said, what would you put that in there for? But I think Jesus is trying to show us something in this moment. The fact that he's asleep during the storm and not after the storm. Anyone can sleep in the calm. But to sleep in, in your storm... Jesus was asleep, at peace, and at rest. See, church, I want you to catch this thought. Our best requires rest. This is what Jesus is showing us here. Our best, to be at our best, it requires rest. Everything Jesus did, he did after he rested. All the miracles, all, all the incredible things that he did, he did from a place of rest. Everyone say rest. rest. In other words, Jesus was never rushed. He was never hurried. And people wanted him all the time. But he managed to make time for what mattered most. And he always operated from a place of peace. And here's the good news. He was able to bring peace because he was at peace. So you can't bring to people what you don't have yourself. And the Bible says that we are to be salt and we're to be light and we're to show people the way, but we can't give people what we don't possess ourselves. To be at our best, it requires rest. Everyone say rest one more time. The good news is Jesus came to bring this peace. He was able to bring peace because he was at peace. 
He was able to bring peace between God and man. He was able to bring peace between others. He was able to bring peace within ourselves. When Jesus died on the cross, he signed a peace treaty with his blood and ended the war between humanity's sin and God's holiness. Isn't that good news? In other words, sin has been defeated. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can have peace with God. We can have peace with one another. And we can have peace with ourselves. See, before you can calm the storms that we face in life, and we're going to face them, church. We're going to face the disasters. We're going to face the diseases. We're going to face the death. We're going to face some of those things that the disciples faced. But before we face those things, we have to face the storms that rage within. You know, the Bible says that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. And so it's a fruit. You see, an unhealthy tree cannot produce healthy fruit. And so if you want nice apples, for example, you've got to look after the tree. It's no good having a withered up, unhealthy, rotten apple and then trying to deal with the fruit. Because by then it's too late. You can't get a withered up, dried up, old, rotten apple and then start fertilising it and watering it and hoping that it would come good. No, no, you've got to deal with the root, not the fruit. And if peace is a fruit of the Spirit, we have to deal with the root of the issue if we don't have that fruit in our lives. And so if you want nicer apples next season, it's not about watering the apple. It's not about fertilising the apple. It's about dealing with the tree. And so you might have to dig and dung the tree. You've got to dig around it, fertilise it, dig and dung. Everyone say dig and dung. And the Holy Spirit has a wonderful way of digging and dunging our lives. And that's why sometimes we don't like preachers because they bring the dung. And it's fertiliser that can grow us and keep us healthy so that we produce fruit. Who wants an apple? It's a nice apple. Anybody? Maddie? There you go. Beautiful. And so with that in mind, I want to turn now to another portion of Scripture written by the Apostle Paul. Because as I think about what it is that I've been through and, and the peace that I'm presently living in, And I started thinking about, what is it that I did? What is it that I experienced? What is it I felt God saying to me? It's amazing. I went to the Word of God. I saw what Paul says about this subject. I thought, my gosh, that's it. That's actually the answer. And so let's turn, if you will, to Philippians, because I believe there are some keys in receiving this peace, but not just receiving this peace, but keeping this peace. It's one thing to make a peace treaty. That's the easy part. But keeping it? That's another. It's one thing making peace with somebody. You might make peace with your wife. You know, that, that's hard enough. But what's even harder is keeping the peace. But I believe Paul gives us some incredible insight 
in receiving this peace that I'm talking about and also keeping it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 9. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. (laughs) And the peace of God will be with you. Paul starts by saying, do not be anxious. I mean, but that's really easy to say. You know, when you're actually anxious, people say, don't be anxious. You actually want to punch them in the head, don't you? Because it's just like, it's, like, it's not helpful. One of the worst things to tell an anxious person is, don't be anxious. It's like, oh God. But Paul says, don't be anxious. But thankfully, he doesn't just leave it there. Just to tell someone not to be anxious is a little bit unfair. Paul actually goes on to give some advice how to deal with that anxiety. And I will look at those four things right now, and they're real simple. But when I think about what I'm presently living in and what has got me through this season of my life, and if I was thinking about the top four things I did and have held on to, it would be these four things. And the first one, Paul says, is to be prayerful. Be prayerful. In every situation, pray. Pray. Simple, but powerful. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're thinking, pray. Often we don't like praying certain things to God because, you know, we don't want to let Him in on our dirty little secrets. Here's the good news. He knows them anyway. He knows them anyway. I don't know if you've had the privilege of parenting a young child or maybe just teaching a young person. And as the older person who has eyes to see what's been going on, uh, it's quite comical watching some young person, some young body trying to pretend like they didn't do what you know they did. And it becomes quite comical because all, all you want him to do is, I already know, I just, I just need you to own it and, and just tell me. But God is all-knowing. He knew us before we were born. See, none of us were born by mistake. None of us were born on accident, which means you are not too old or you're not too young. You are the perfect God-ordained age that you are meant to be because He knew you'd be here at this time for such a time as this. He knew you before you were born. And if He knew you before you were born, that means He knows you through and through. He knows all your dirty little secrets. The things that you're too embarrassed to tell anyone about. And sometimes we're so embarrassed we don't want to tell God, but He knows them anyway. But here's the great thing, church. Not only does He know those things, but He never stops loving us. That's what blows my mind with this incredible God that I get the privilege of preaching week after week after week is that He knows us and loves us. Sometimes we fall in love with someone on Instagram because they put all their, their um, good photos up. And we go, oh man, I'd love their life. And I love their lifestyle. And they're amazing. But all they're doing is showing a glimpse of their life. And it's usually the best possible bits. And it's been filtered. 
many times, sometimes photoshopped. And we think we know that person, but when you get to know them, actually, that's not them at all. And so sometimes we fall in love with the image of a person. But here's the great thing. God's fallen in love with us as we are, warts and all, with all our faults and failings. And so Paul says, knowing that, just pray. And prayer in its simplest form is just talking to God. Say, God, I, I, I struggle with this thing. I, I know the Bible says, don't be anxious. But this is how I would start praying if I'm anxious. I know the Bible says not to be anxious, but Lord, I am. Yeah. I actually am. Because if I go in there and say, Father, I want to thank you that I'm an overcomer. And that because I'm an overcomer, I'm not anxious. And they go, stop. You, you are actually anxious. <laughs> so it's just better to say, I, I, I'm struggling with anxiety right now. And I've never felt that rebuke from God. It's like, ah, oh, yes. He doesn't do that. Because I, I know. Uh, and I've always felt like God's like, I, I was waiting when you were going to come. I was wondering when you were going to come and give that to me. And I know I shouldn't be anxious, Lord, but I just am. Got some young people coming up for exams. I could say, don't be anxious. Yeah, but what if you are? It doesn't really help parents when we say, kids, just don't be anxious. You'll, you'll be right. Far better as parents to get alongside your kids and say, you know what, I get it. Because every one of us have experienced anxiety. I don't care who you are. Unless you're just a brand new baby. And even then, you've probably had a bit of anxiety just coming out into this world. <laughs> just like... Just, so we, we all experience anxiety at different levels. And so maybe it's just coming on side and say, hey, you know what? It's okay. The Bible says, do not be anxious, but, but I can see that we are. I can see that you are. Let's just pray. Let's give our anxiety to God. To be as weak as I was in hospital and not be able to do what I would normally do, my, my daily reading, I wasn't, I wasn't well enough or strong enough to do some of that stuff and, and uh, my, my routines of prayer went out the window. But I felt God just say, just give me what you can. And it's so great to be in that weakened state and feel the love of God. And I sense the love of God in this place right now and so don't see prayer as, as some weird tough religious act it should never be that it's just us talking to God and so I've prayed many times Lord, I, I do feel anxious about whatever it may be that's coming up and I, I know I shouldn't but I do and I realise left to my own devices this anxiety is going to cripple me I'm not I'm not strong enough to carry it here. I'm going to give it to you, Lord. Help me in my anxious moments. And I cannot tell you the times I've prayed prayers similar to that. And God just comes and does what I can't do. I think our prayers need to be honest, specific, full of faith, and also with some patience. Just because we've prayed doesn't mean he's going to do what you want him to do right that moment. That's where faith and trust comes in. 
That's where faith and trust comes in. So honest. You know, the Bible says the truth will set you free, not a truth. It needs to be the truth. So just be honest about where you're at. Paul says, be prayerful. Secondly, he says, be thankful. Submit your prayers and requests with thanksgiving. Too many times we are full of worry and fear. And in our worried, fearsome state, we forget to count our blessings. Have you ever heard that as a saying? Just count your blessings. And I agree with that. We need to count our blessings. There was one moment that I had the opportunity to get outside of the hospital. I'd been in hospital for about two weeks. I hadn't actually been outside. And it was a Saturday morning and uh, the nurses gave me the permission to leave the hospital. It was probably the first time I really felt like I could. Uh, and in a weekend state, I had uh, a wheelchair given to me. And so here I was in a weekend state. I was in a wheelchair, which is not my preferred state to be outside. Understatement. But I never forget as my wife was pushing me in this wheelchair and my kids were in front of me and I was holding my pack of Uno cards because we was going to go to a cafe to play Uno, which is a little bit of a rainbow tradition wherever we go, we bring out the Uno cards while we're waiting for lunches or coffees or whatever. So just, just help keep our kids quiet uh, when they were younger. <laughs> so we just thought if it worked then, it might work now. Just keep quiet. <laughs> and I never forget... As Kath was pushing me, just being so thankful. Again, being in a wheelchair is not my preferred mode of transport. But just being so grateful for that moment. So grateful for being alive. So grateful for being able to see my family again. So grateful for the opportunity to play Uno, a silly little card game. I got to play Uno again. And I just remember being overwhelmed with things that were so small. But just being grateful nonetheless. And I want to say in your most painful day, on your most hurtful day, there's always something to give God thanks for. There's always something. And if you can't think of anything, it just means you're not thinking hard enough. So give thanks. The Bible says it this way. Enter his courts with misery. No, it says with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. And there's always something to be thankful for. In your singleness, be thankful. Be thankful for the life you've got. Be thankful for the friends you've got. Be thankful for the home you live in. In your marriage, maybe it's not ideal. But be thankful. Next time you're complaining about the ironing or the washing or whatever it is that you were doing, just be thankful that you actually got close to iron for people. Because life would be pretty boring and lonely without the people in our world. Next time you're cleaning the marks up of all the kids and on the wall, you can look at the marks on the wall or you can look at the precious people that put them there and say, thank God, because I tell you, if they were taken away from you, you would wish you could have fingerprints on your wall every day. So be thankful. Paul says, be prayerful. He says, be thankful. On that, I just want to add one more thing. And that is, 
sometimes you just got to live in the moment and take one day at a time. And when I was in hospital, it's amazing, I can look back and think, three weeks in hospital, that's a long time. But it actually went relatively quickly because I just took one day at a time. And, and I knew there was other things that were coming up, so I was aware of it, but I wasn't thinking about it. Just living in the moment. Then I got out of hospital, then I thought, okay, now I've got a few weeks. They actually lied to me, they told me three weeks, it ended up being five weeks that I'd have this bottle, antibiotics shoved into my arm, and that was for five weeks. And I thought, okay, this is the next season. We're out of hospital. Now it's next five weeks, it's just this. So I've got to sleep with this little bottle. I've got to take this little bottle everywhere I go. I called him Baxter. <laughs> Gave him a name. <laughs> Baxter the bottle. We just, hi Baxter, how you doing? Just... I, I felt like a, a massive victory that I was able to carry Baxter around without having the, the bum bag. That was a big win. <laughs> and I was mindful that there was talk of surgery. But I wasn't living in that moment because God doesn't give you grace weeks at a time. He gives it 24 hours at a time. And if you find yourself thinking about tomorrow, you're going to start living in a position that God has not graced you for. A lot can happen from now till the time I have my operation. And so, so I'm separating myself from what I know is coming up to what's happening right here, right now. Because God's only graced me for today. He has not given me grace for tomorrow. He has not given me grace for two weeks' time. And many of us lose our peace because we're worried about things that God has not given us the grace for. But I promise you this, he's given you grace for right here, right now. Whatever you need to face right here, right now, he's given you grace for. But I don't feel grace. That's because you're worried about a future event that he hasn't given you grace for. Be prayerful, be thankful. Number one, uh, number three, sorry. Be positive. Be positive. It's actually my blood type. It's in my blood to be positive. Do you know that? Any B positives out there? There we go. Any O negatives? O negative. Right? God can redeem your blood type. It's okay. It's fine. Paul says, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things. Often we, do, uh, we dwell on the negative things. We see the glass as half empty or half full. We kind of like, it's, but it's empty. It's also got something in it we've got to hold on to the positive there's always a silver lining even in the darkest day and in order to hold on to the positive things sometimes we've got to silence the negative thoughts Jesus said when he spoke over the storm he said he rebuked the storm but in different translations we see Jesus saying silence and sometimes you've got to silence those negative thoughts and hold on to the positive ones. And there's always good things happening. There's always great things happening in our lives. I remember one day in hospital, at my worst, because all the doctors were coming in, and it wasn't just one thing. It was just like I had the best medicos coming in, the best surgeons in their field just saying, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. So it wasn't like I was just dealing you know, with one thing. But every expert came in, and so the, the neurologist came in. And by the time they finished, I thought I had motor neurons disease. And then the cardiologist came in, I thought I'm having a heart attack. And so I'm dealing with this all at the same time. And there was one time I thought I was having a heart attack, I thought I had cancer, and I thought I had motor neurons disease, and I just left with all this, and then they left. Like, and I remember this, this voice is just screaming at me. 
And even in my weakened state, just having to say silence, it's enough. It's enough. Then hold on to the good. You've got to hold on to the good. You know what? I wouldn't wish what I've been through on anybody. And personally, I don't want to have to go through it again. But I can honestly say I'm glad I went through it. Because of the incredible things that have happened in my life, in our marriage, in our family, when I think about what's happened in our staff and our core team, when I think about what's happening in the church, honestly, I think God has used this situation to do something that could not have been done any other way. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And so when people say to me, I'm sorry I had to go through it, I, I, I appreciate the sentiment behind that, but actually, you know, don't feel sorry for me. I feel so incredibly blessed that I could go through it because so many great things have happened. And I know if we would stop and think, I could take every one of you personally on a journey to show you how blessed you really are and how many great things, but you've got to silence those voices, those negative thoughts, because they come like waves and that's why I love getting together in the church. And in just a moment, we're just going to sing and worship together. And my last point as the band come up is this. Be obedient. Be prayerful. Be thankful. Be positive, And be obedient. Paul says, Whatever you have heard or received or have learnt from me or seen in me, Paul says, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. In other words, God expects us to put his word into practice. And, and this is for our benefit, not his. This is not an insecure God speaking. Do as I say. It's not that. It's because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he wants us to obey the word because that's the way we're going to have the best life possible. It's for our benefit that we put his word into practice. A clear and clean conscience promotes peace of mind. Sometimes we don't have the peace that's on offer because we've got all this unresolved sin, all these issues, all these offences that we just have not given to God and sorted out. And when we've got all this stuff in our world, when we're living in disobedience to the Word of God, we cannot expect to have the kind of peace that's on offer. And so as we learn to be more prayerful, more thankful, as we learn to hold on to the good and be positive and actually just be obedient to the word. And here's the good news. Even if you've messed up, the Bible says just repent of your sins. Do you know God's grace comes in many forms and in many ways? And sometimes we're waiting for the grace of God to come, but grace enters our lives when we're obedient. And when Peter was addressing the crowd in Acts chapter 3, he says, repent, confess your sins. He says, so that seasons of refreshing might come, so that the grace of God can enter your life. You know, when we confess our sins to God or to one another, it opens a doorway to the grace of God coming in. And when the grace of God enters our life, guess what? Peace is the fruit. Peace is the result. We talk about the grace. I want more grace. I want more grace. Well, you know what? Grace comes in many forms. Sometimes the grace of God comes in the form of a, of a faithful friend who's willing to speak the truth in love to me and address me on an issue in my life. It's like God's grace to me. 
We see it as he's picked someone's picking on me. Who do you think you are saying, no, that's actually God's grace. I want more of God's grace. And he brings someone into your life and speaks into your life. Oh, get away from me. No, no, that's God's grace. Having the right people in your world, speaking the right things into your life, that's God's grace. When we confess our sins, because we just messed up, we got it wrong. And it happens. We all do it. So the Bible doesn't say if you sin, it says when you sin. <laughs> Who would like seasons of refreshing to come? Well, God's willing. Sometimes the blockage is on us because we just refuse to give him what he was meant to carry. The Bible says in Jonah chapter, eight, uh, chapter 2 verse 8, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace of God that could be theirs. And that idol is probably not a golden calf, not in our world, but it could be an offence. I'm going to hold on to that thing. It could be unforgiveness. I'm going to hold on to that thing. It could be fear. I'm going to hold on to that thing. It could be anxiety. I'm going to hold on to that thing. And while we're holding on to those things, we forfeit the grace that God is willing to pour out. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 